The scripture reading tonight is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Russ. Father, we're grateful for our time tonight, <coughs> not only to worship, but also to, to press our mind into this eternal and ancient word that still has power unrivaled in all of history and all of the world. We're grateful for this word, Father, not only for the, the way that it has changed us, but for the comfort it brings our mind and, and, and our souls, especially in times of trouble, in times of adversity, in times of, of, um, of not being sure what the future holds. And it's with this, this kind of faith and anticipation and eagerness, Father, that we approach for the final time uh, this psalm that David wrote so many thousand years ago that still to this day echoes with such a profound wisdom that we cannot ignore it, Father, but, but allow it to come into every part of our being and to change not only us, but, but to change, Father, the way that we see the world and especially the way that we see you. And so as we study it tonight, help us to have eyes again to see and ears again to hear in such a way that we discern the, the true message of this psalm. And this we pray with all of our heart, in the name of Jesus, amen. <coughs> we are going to finish uh, the Lord's Prayer tonight. And as you know, we, we've been looking at this psalm through a series of progressions. Uh, the first three we've already looked at. The first one is, the first declaration at the beginning of the psalm is, I will be satisfied. There is nothing that I will lack. And the reason for that is the Lord is a shepherd, and as a shepherd, he provides his sheep, who are the humans, us. The Lord supplies the sheep everything. The second affirmation or declaration of this psalm is, I will not fear. And the reason for that is not because the path is somehow changed, but that it's God that leads us in that path. There is no place we go, there's no circumstance that we face in this life where God is not near. And even if that valley is so deep that it goes into a dark place, the valley of the shadow of death, there is no fear because God is near. The, the last one we looked at was the, uh, uh, about three weeks ago. It was, I will triumph. And here the metaphor changes from the shepherd and the sheep to the warrior king. And the, the idea behind I will tri triumph is that it's God 
who is going to prepare this table, the, the sign of a feast, the sign of good times, the sign of a victory, that table is going to be prepared in the presence of my enemies. And the last thing that we're going to look at at the very end of this psalm, uh, primarily verse 6, is the last affirmation, I will arrive. And the final affirmation goes like this. It's verse 6. Now, this is not a version you're going to find in your Bible. This is a version that comes from uh, Peter Craigie, who has written uh, a, a lot of years on the Old Testament, and primarily the Psalms. And this is his, his personal translation of verse 6 of Psalm 23. He writes, Surely goodness and loving kindness shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell again in the house of the Lord for days without end. Let me read that one more time. Surely goodness and loving kindness shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell again in the house of the Lord for days without end. That verse 6, in, in, in reading it and allowing those words to settle in our mind, suggest that there should be a sense of joy, a sense of joy in our journey. And the reason for it is that there is a goodness and a loving kindness of God that pursues us or follows us all the days of our life. Now, those two things that pursue us throughout life with God um, are the goodness and the loving kindness. And before we get to that, it, it might be sort of interesting to think about that word radaf in Hebrew, which means to pursue. It, it means to pursue or to chase after or to go after with, with intent somebody or something. Now, sometimes, you know as well as I do, that the Bible is full of a lot of pursuing and that sometimes it's not always positive. Sometimes it's negative. Sometimes there is a hostile intent as an enemy chasing after someone. But that's not always the case, as in this psalm. David, now think about the fella that wrote this psalm. David is a fella who knew what it was like to be pursued for most of his life. David knew what it was like to be followed, what it was like to be chased after, what it meant to be pursued by someone. A couple of weeks ago, uh, actually um, a little under two weeks ago, uh, Wayne and Jordan and I are, are standing about... 200 yards from the falls of Ein Gedi down on the western side of the Dead Sea. And this is the place, this is, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a way of knowing whether or not you're, you're at the exact place. And this is one of them where you know you are at the exact place. This is one of the only places where you can get fresh water in that part of the world. And it's the part of the world that David uh, was, was fleeing to when, when King Saul was after him. And there at the, the pools of Ein Gedi, very, very famous oasis, that part, that part of the world, are some caves, and one cave in particular, uh, damaged by an earthquake some years ago. But there is a cave there that David went into, and when Saul went in to relieve himself, he was pursuing David, and David is on the run. And there at Ein Gedi, we were reminded that David's life was not always easy. And in being pursued, he went into that cave to hide. Saul comes in, and you know the rest of that story. David was a fellow that knew what it meant to be pursued. And the relevant question for us tonight is, what do we see pursuing us all the days of our life? For David, David knew that, that Saul was not the only thing that, or the only person that was pursuing him. 
In this psalm, David, a man who knew what it was like to be pursued with hostile intent, also knew what it meant to be pursued by the goodness of God. And he says, as the final affirmation of this great psalm, he says that God's goodness and God's loving kindness, the word chesed in Hebrew, also pursued David, and these formed the bigger part of David's life. It was the goodness and that chesed, that loving kindness, that, that covenantal love that God has for his people. Those are the things that formed the bigger part of his life and formed his worldview. And regardless of what it was that David had coming down the pike at him, are pursuing him, that's the lens in which he saw it. That it was God's goodness more than anything else. It was God's faithful, loving kindness to him more than anything else that was pursuing him. And that's what made the difference in his life. So again, I ask the question, what do you see pursuing you all the days of your life? Do you frame your life from the perspective that it's really only the bad things that are pursuing me. That there are the negative things, the bad things that are pursuing me that are on my heels. That there's some kind of hostility that's on my heels. Or do we live with a sense that because God is always near and God is supplying everything and that God is going to give me triumph over my enemies, that we get this sense that regardless of where we go in this life or what might happen to us, it's God's goodness and God's loving kindness coming down hard on our life even more so than the negative hostility at times. Now the first and second declaration of the psalm again is, I will be satisfied and I will not fear. They're described with the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. The, the third declaration of the psalm, I shall triumph, is the metaphor of the warrior king. God is going to provide victory for his people. The, the victory feast will be, <coughs> will be great, and it will be done in the presence of the enemies. Now this last one, I shall arrive, changes metaphor again. And it's the idea of the father and the home. And there are two things that help us to get there. The first thing that David helps us to understand is that we are to look around for God's goodness and for God's loving kindness. Again, the word loving kindness is a very special word. It has a lot of theological freight to it. It's used of God to describe his love for his covenant people, a love that cannot be broken. <coughs> One of the greatest illustrations of hesed or loving kindness to help us get our mind around it is found in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and the story of Mephibosheth. By the time we get to 2 Samuel chapter 9, David has taken Jerusalem from the Jebusites. He is king over united Israel. And after things have been a lot on the run and in flight and Saul chasing him and there's been war and there's been blood and there's been all of these bad things, for David, things are going pretty well right now. And one day while he's sitting on the throne, he wonders aloud, 2 Samuel verse 9, chapter 9 verse 1, is there anyone still in the house of Saul to whom I can show chesed i can show kindness for jonathan's sake now that's a very unusual request in the ancient near east whenever somebody took over a kingdom all of the rival kingdoms were kings were usually executed in order to solidify the throne that way you don't have anybody with intrigue trying to 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 plot a coup and to take your throne from you so you kill all of those that might have a rival claim to your throne david doesn't do that he has united the king the the tribes of israel jerusalem is going to be the place 
And he wants to know if there's anyone in Saul's household, for Jonathan's sake, his best friend, that he can show chesed to for Jonathan's sake. Well, Jonathan was the son of Saul. And in line to being a king, but he knows that he will never be that king. He knows that David is going to be the king. And in this this scene from 1 Samuel chapter 20, he says to David, knowing that Jonathan, the son of the king Saul, is not going to be king, David is, he says, show me unfailing kindness, hesed, like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So David enters into this covenant relationship with Jonathan. As you know, Jonathan is is killed later in battle by the Philistines. David becomes king. And while David now with a unified kingdom wonders out loud about, (coughs) about Jonathan's line, it comes to his attention that there is a son of Jonathan that's still alive and that he's living in a place called Lo Debar, which means, the word Lo means no, and Debar means thing. And you put that together and you get nothing. This is a guy by the name of Mephibosheth that's living in a place called nothing. And at one time, he, uh, he had been called Maribal. Now he's called Mephibosheth, which means seething uh, dishonor. And the reason that he's living there is because he knows nothing about the covenant between his father Jonathan and David. He is brought to David. He probably thinks that he's about to be put to death. And then he hears, as he bows low before David, he hears David say, don't fear. And then David continues. He says to Mephibosheth some of the words, most tender words that you'll find coming from David's lips. He says, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. So he's going to give him great wealth, and he's going to treat him as a son of the king. Mephibosheth bowed down again and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now one of the things that you notice in this story is that it keeps being emphasized that Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. Why? It's a reminder that Mephibosheth in ancient days had nothing to offer the king. He is crippled. He's not whole. There's nothing. There's there's no honor. There is is no social currency. There's no social influence that Mephibosheth is going to bring the king because he is crippled. As cruel as that is, that is the truth of that particular circumstance. And the reality is Mephibosheth has nothing to offer David. He could not bring anything to David, and that's the point. The only reason Mephibosheth can eat at David's table is because of the unconditional love that David has for Jonathan. It's an unconditional love. It's an unfailing love. And it's a covenantal love. It's the kind of love that chased Mephibosheth all the way to his home in Lodabar, which is just on the other side of nowhere. Now the, now the question, as we ponder the story of David and, David and Mephibosheth and the covenant relationship he had with Jonathan, do we discern that kind of love from God? Because David did. 
Do we discern that kind of love from God as we get up in the morning and go through our morning ritual and we go out into the workplace or the school place or the neighborhood place or the marketplace? Do we discern that kind of love from God that makes the difference in the way that we frame our day and respond rather than react to the adversity that comes towards us? We we live in a world that often reminds us that we are like Mephibosheth, that we too somehow don't have anything of, of note or anything of worth to bring to anybody, that we're really nothing, that we're nobodies, that we are in so many ways like Mephibosheth, but God, we are told, in this psalm, puts us at his table. David didn't have to pursue happiness because happiness, God's goodness, and his chesed, his loving kindness, pursued David all the days of his life. God's goodness and loving kindness were his traveling partners every day that David lived. Now again, the question, do you discern God's goodness and loving kindness pursuing you in this life? What happens when you think about the cross of Jesus? What happens to your heart when you think about all of the ways that God has blessed you in this life? You know, we sing that song, count your many blessings, and you will see what the Lord has done. And there will be that proof that there is a God and that that God notices you. But what about those blessings, the nature, the meat of those blessings? What do they do to your heart and to your mind as you go through the day? David says, this is how I go through my day. I go through my day knowing that God's goodness, God's good intent... His his loving intent, his, His faithfulness, His covenantal love to me, His promises of love made to me go with me wherever I go. And they became the bigger part of His life. That regardless of who it is that might be pursuing Him, there was a greater good that was pursuing Him. And it made all the difference. But there's a second thing. You don't just look around at... And, and discern God's goodness around you, you also have to discern God's good in your future, which is the second thing. You look ahead to God's future. You look ahead to God's forever home. Do you know what the difference is? And this is maybe crass, but do you know what the difference is between a hobo and a sojourner? A sojourner knows where he is going, and a hobo doesn't. And a hobo doesn't care. At the end of Psalm 23, David knows that there is a house, a home, he will get to. And it's not just any house, it's the house of his father. It's the house of God that he will dwell in all the days of his life. And this getting home, this success at the end of the journey, that in the end you're not going to be thwarted, that at the end you're really going to get there, that you're really going to be in God's presence, that you're really going to get home. That is a theme throughout the Psalms. Psalm 16 and verse 10. David says, Because you, God, will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. In Psalm 49 he says, God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Psalm 73, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. 
David knew that God was going to bring him home. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a uh, kind of a mundane, worldly kind of hope, as in I hope I get a bicycle for Christmas or I hope I get you know, my two front teeth. That hope was an anticipation, a real anticipation that this is what's going to happen at the end of life. You know, because that's kind of an amazing thing among Christians. If you, may, you may have known some in, in your life that uh, as they approached the end of life, they began to wonder if the promises were going to be true. One of the things that God does, not only in the Old Testament but the New Testament, is to do things that once we really kind of get our mind around it, we realize that these promises are absolutely the most sure thing, the most dense true th- densely true thing that we have in this life you know i mean what, what what would it be like if we lived all of our life and went through all of these trials only to get to the end and wonder whether or not it's true do you know one of the reasons why it's so important that that you and i as disciples of jesus have a changed life There are lots of reasons, right? One of the reasons that we have a changed life, that we develop this fruit of the Spirit, is for other people to see that the gospel is true, that the gospel has a power, that the gospel not only saves us, but it changes us because we are being saved unto God and becoming the people that we were always intended to be. But there's another reason why we bear the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever wondered whether or not you were really a Christian? One of the ways that you know, one of the ways that you know is that you see that fruit of the Spirit blossoming. Not just one or two, but you begin to see all of them. That you see the love and the peace and the patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness, all of that. You begin to see that to blossom in your life. And one of the blessings is is that you become the person you were always intended to be. There's a blessing there for everyone to see that the gospel really does have power and might when it gets a hold of our life. But you know another reason? It's evidence of the Spirit in you. To be able to come, become the kind of person that you would never be able to become unless you had the help of God's Spirit in you. Now the question is, do you know why it's important for you to know that God's Spirit is in you? Without a shadow of a doubt? That these changes in life could not have been brought unless it was God's Word and God's hand and God's Spirit dwelling in you making those changes? because of the promises that are based on the Spirit's presence in your life. One one of the the, the major pieces of this letter to Ephesus that Paul writes is that he says one of the things you need to realize about what God is doing in your life that brings these changes that are supposed to happen not only in your life but in the community and the fellowship of the church is that God has put His Spirit in you like earnest money. That God has put His Spirit in you. That's, what it, that's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is to have God's Spirit, to be saved, to be brought unto God, to, have, to, 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 to be sanctified means that God has put His Spirit in you to change you, and that Spirit is in you like earnest money. If you go and you buy a house, and you put that earnest money, $500 down, and you decide to renege on that contract, what happens? You lose the earnest money. Now what happens to God if he puts his spirit in you but then reneges on all of the promises he's made to you. He loses his spirit. And what happens when God loses his spirit? God ceases to be God. 
So one of the reasons it's important to know this is so that as you approach anything in this life between now and the end of your life that are somehow unsettling, somehow sources of great concern or discouragement or fear, that you can take God's promises to the bank. Because God has invested His Spirit in you. God's future home, your place in His presence, your place at His table, regardless of how crippled in the feet you are, is a sure thing. And that, in David's mind, was something that changed the way that he approached everything. I know that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Some years ago, there was this grandfather that um, received terrible, terrible news that his three-year-old grandson, who was living in in Denver, um, had been murdered by his daughter's live-in boyfriend. The little grandson was on life support. They were keeping him alive in order for his organs to be donated, donated. And the grandfather wanted to be there for his daughter and with his daughter when that little guy was taken off the life support system. The grandfather, as you can imagine, you know, at the last minute, frantically making all kinds of phone calls. He's explaining to airlines what happened, the tragedy. The airlines... (coughs) There's one of the airlines that is working with him to get him on this last-minute flight to, to Denver. But as he's trying to make his way to the airport, there are delays, there, there's, there's traffic, there are accidents, there's, there's just traffic, and it looks like this grandfather is not going to make that last leg of the journey to be there. But he gets to the airport, he hustles to the gate, sure that the plane has already left because he's getting there after the departure time. And what does he find? He finds the pilot, true story, finds the pilot of that plane at the gate. Pilate went up to him and extended his hand and said, Are you Mark? Grandfather said, Yes. And the pilot said, We know what has happened, and we're sorry for your loss, and I'm holding this plane for you. They can't leave without me, and I'm not leaving without you. And I want you to relax because I'm going to get you there. And again, I'm sorry. What a great story, a true story. And it's a reminder that there is one who makes sure that we're going to get there. And regardless of what happens to you in this life, there is one who is going to make sure that you get there. And you, Christian, are going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His goodness and His loving kindness. Jeff's going to lead us in a song. And perhaps there are some ways that we can minister to you tonight. We've already uh, been led in prayer by, by one of our shepherds on behalf of a family that's struggling with some, uh, some, <coughs> some health issues right now. Perhaps there are some others. Uh, if, if there's anything that we can do tonight to help you on this journey, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds who are going to be down here at the front as we praise God with this song.